So Luke 1.26 is where we're going to start. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the story of the angel who appeared to Mary, and then Mary's response to um, being the mother of the Son of God and her song. So we're going to read from Luke 1.26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And let's jump down to verse 46, Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you're here with us this morning. Father, I thank you that you want to speak to us. You want to encourage us. We welcome your Holy Spirit. We welcome whatever you want to do in our lives. Father, I just submit all my thoughts and my ideas and my words to you this morning. I just pray that you would lead this time, open our hearts. Let us respond to you this morning as Mary did. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was raised in England. I was raised in a small village. And every Christmas, we did um, like a little school nativity play. And I always wanted to be Mary every time. I wanted to be Mary for a number of reasons. I wish I could say there were holy reasons, but they weren't. I wanted to be Mary because she got to wear the blue. She got to wear that the stunning blue outfit that always just seemed kind of cool. I wanted to be Mary because she was in every scene. She was like the center of attention. She was like the big star, right? I also wanted to be Mary because she got to ride the donkey. And I don't know about you, but in my school, the donkey was always another kid that had to kind of crawl, <laughs> you know? And I thought, that has got to be the best thing ever. Like, I just get to sit on this kid that will carry me around. <laughs> so I never got to be Mary. Sad day. It's okay. I'm okay. But I did get to be a shepherd. And maybe some of you were a shepherd, you know, with the kitchen towel and the dressing gown kind of thing around your head. That was kind of the story of my life. But um, I never got to be married. But, you know, 
I may have been interested in Mary for all the wrong reasons, but I do think that today that we as a church need to recapture a love for Mary, recapture a love for her song. And I think the church has, on one hand, we've kind of idolized Mary, right? We've kind of, in some churches, we've kind of lifted her up, worshipped her, and maybe made more of her than we should have. And on the other hand, I think we've ignored Mary, that we have treated her as kind of like this young and naive girl that you know, what does she really mean to us except that she gave birth to Jesus? Is there anything that we can learn from Mary this morning? Is there anything that she can teach us? And so I've been looking at Mary this Advent and thinking a lot about her and have been really struck by her. And hopefully you'll join me with this this morning. Really struck by something about Mary. And this is... (laughs) This is... That was totally an accident. Um, I was really struck by Mary. Um, She has the capacity, right? Mary has the capacity to, on one hand, touch pain and suffering and lament, and on the other hand, touch joy, anticipation, expectancy. What I mean by that is that you know, Mary grew up. She was, you know, part of the Israel people. She was. This was her culture. This was her story. And, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been learning about Israel and their exile and their suffering and their pain and their longing. And Mary would have been familiar with that story, right? She grew up in it. She would have sang the songs. She would have heard the stories. She would have memorized the scripture, the waiting, the longing for this Messiah. She would have been very connected to that kind of historical and emotional weight of like, when is this person coming? When are we going to see hope come? Right? And so she touches, she's very aware of that. And then in comes this angel, the story we just read, and he's like, hey, you are now going to be the doorway to that hope. You are now going to be the entrance to what God is going to do. Can you imagine the weight of all of her story, her history of like, we're waiting, and suddenly God says, and you are going to be the way this is going to come about. So she's standing in the middle, right? Because on this side, she's got all of history and all of, all of the weight of Israel. And now she has her own pain and suffering on that side, right? Because life wasn't easy for Mary. She was young. Her reputation, her marriage suddenly was in the balance. There was a sense of like, I, I've never been a mother. Like, how do I even mother the son of God? Like, there was a lot of struggle that she was stepping into. And we don't have time to get into it this morning, but even in her life beyond giving birth to Jesus, things weren't great, were they? She was exiled. She had to escape to Egypt. Some king is trying to kill her son. She's trying to save him. Later on in life, of course, she watches her son die on a cross. Life wasn't easy for Mary. So she's touching this. But now suddenly she's touching something else, right? She's touching hope on this side. She's touching the anticipation, expectancy of like, someone's going to come. Someone's going to come, and I get to be part of that story. I get to be the doorway in which this this person's going to come and save Israel, and his kingdom will never come to an end. And, you know, this is what fascinates me about Mary, is her ability to stand in the tension, the tension between struggle and lament and pain and suffering and darkness and hope expectation, something's coming, but she's not seen it yet, it's not come about yet, so she's in the middle, she's straddling these two places. Isn't that what Advent is all about? Isn't that what we've been learning about? Like there's this longing and this struggle and things are really hard, but then something, someone is coming. You know, I think Mary embodied Advent. 
I think Mary embodied Advent, and I don't just mean with like mentally and emotionally, she literally embodied it in her physical body. Can you imagine the tension here she is? She's like, she's like human, she's like us. She's imperfect, she's frail, she's sinful. She's a woman, she's just, she's just like us. And then inside of that brokenness, inside of that imperfection, God birthed perfection. God birthed the divine. So she's not just straddling this like mentally and emotionally and like feeling the weight of that. She's literally experiencing it happen in her own body. I was kind of tripping out on that this Advent as I've been thinking. I'm like, that is kind of crazy. You know, what would it look like for us to allow lament and suffering and pain to coexist with joy and anticipation and expectancy? And that's why I'm kind of like, I'm loving Mary. Like, I'm really digging her, because I'm like, wow, you're like a forerunner, Mary. Like, you're just like showing us how it's done. And I feel like, you know, this isn't just Advent. This is life, isn't it? This is life. Like, on one hand, we get great news, and we're feeling good, and life's just wonderful. And then the next day, it's like, life's hard, and we're reading through social media, or like, stuff happens in our lives, and it's like, we're kind of struggling between these two places. I wonder what it would be like for joy and lament to share an apartment, to be roomies. What would it look like? What would it look like for joy to say, okay, pain and suffering, you can be here. I'm not gonna try and shush you or squash you or shove you in a closet. Like, you can live here with me. And what would it look like for lament and pain and suffering to say, okay, joy, you can be here too. You're not too much. You're not inappropriate. Like, we can coexist. And that's kind of a funny, like, San Francisco little, you know, idea. But, like, what would it look like as we reflect on our hearts this morning? to be able to straddle those two places like Mary did. You know, I've had, I've had two children, and I know the, just the joy of parenthood, and I know the sheer hell of, um, <laughs> of being pregnant and going through labor. Um, those two things are very difficult. I love being a mother. I have two boys. Um, but I had very difficult pregnancies, very difficult. I mean, pregnancy itself is really rough. Um, but I just kind of was that person that had all the, all, the, all the ailments, which I won't go into. But it's kind of all-consuming. You know, when someone is growing inside of you, it's like you have to pee every 10 minutes because someone's, like, jabbing into your bladder. You're like, you can't eat, like, anything without swallowing, like, a bottle of Tums. It just feels like you can't sleep. Like, it's just, as time goes on, you get bigger. It's uncomfortable. There's just, like, this, this physical kind of struggle that happens when something's growing inside of you that gets so big. And, you know, by the end, you talk to anyone that's, you know, gone full term, and it's like, okay, I just have to get this child out. Like, rip it from my body. You know, you just don't even care anymore. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's that, the idea that when you're growing something inside of you, it's pushing up against everything that's normal. It's pushing up, it's pressing on every part of our life, and it's like, it's suddenly like, oh, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm paying attention to this, like something's going on. What would it look like in our lives to give birth to hope? What would it look like for hope to begin to grow in us, where it starts to press, against the lament and the darkness and the pain and the struggle? What would it look like to let those two things coexist in our lives? I think that's what Advent is all about. It's what our life is all about. There's like this sense that there's this bitter and there's this sweet. 
and they're together. And you know, we kind of dislike that. I do. I dislike the tension. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I said to my husband this week, like, I'm kind of, I just am so over social media, like, like, I'm reading it, and it's so discouraging. It's so discouraging. I'm reading this stuff, and I'm just like, I don't want, I don't want to acknowledge the pain. I'd rather just, like, the joy of Christmas, like, it's wonderful, the lights, like, everything about that, but, but this is life, isn't it? It's like both things. We experience both things. So how do we stay in the struggle? How do we survive and even thrive when we've got these things going on? So I wanted to share about something my husband and I went through a few years ago. Um, we had just had our first child, and uh, we were living here in the Castro. And not that far from here, we were living in essentially a studio apartment. And so we had a baby, and a first-time mom, like, it was, it was scary, and it was terrifying, and... I didn't know what I was doing, and, and then I experienced postpartum depression, and that was really rough, and it felt really dark. And we were living in our apartment that was small, and it was loud, and we were on the third floor. There was no elevator, and I had not that long before kind of been diagnosed with a problem with my back, with my spine, with my discs. And so every day I would try and put my baby in the car seat, you know, stroller, carry him down the three flights of stairs, try and do whatever, carry him back up. And after a while, that just got really rough, you know, like really rough. And I felt so discouraged and I didn't want to leave the house because of that, the pain. And, but then I felt isolated and then I felt alone. And it was just like a real difficult time in our lives. And, and then we realized that um, we were going to have to move, and so then we couldn't find anything in the neighborhood that we liked, and we were in that struggle, we couldn't afford it, and we moved to this place that, um, you know, was okay, but uh, it still was a struggle, we didn't have a car, so it was going everywhere by bus, like, it was just, life just felt really, really difficult, and about a year before, I had started an organization that I was trying to, like, birth and, like, get started, and so I was like, life is really rough right now. Life is really hard right now. Like, I remember crying on the kitchen floor more times than I can count, just feeling really hopeless. I was struggling with depression. I was feeling like our circumstances were just, like, crowding in. Like, every day seemed like a good day to leave San Francisco, <laughs> you know? Like, you all know that feeling, right? Every day you wake up and you're like, today's the day. <laughs> <laughs> I've reached my absolute limit and capacity, and it would be like I would reach that and I'd have that conversation with Brian, and I'd be like, this is it, I'm so done, I'm so over this place, and the next day something even worse would happen, and I'd be like, seriously, like I'm so at the end, and I'd be like saying to God, God, I'm so at the end of myself right now, I feel so lonely, I feel so depressed. We didn't know one other family, this was a few years back before we were part of this community, we didn't know one other family with children in San Francisco, not one. I didn't have anyone to call up and be like, hey, what diaper should I buy? Like, where should I shop? Like, what's your thoughts on, on raising kids? Like, I didn't have anywhere to go. I felt so isolated. I felt so hopeless. Many of us experience that at different seasons of our life. Maybe you're going through that right now in some way, shape, or form, in some area of our life. That was a pretty extreme 18 months for us. And um, there was so much more that went on that I won't even get into, but it just felt like a tunnel of darkness. And there was one thing that really kept me going through that season, and that was knowing that God was with me. And when I say that, I don't want you to think that I woke up every morning and had this overwhelming, warm, fuzzy feeling of the presence of Jesus, because I didn't. In fact, there was many times in that season that I thought, has God abandoned me? 
Like, this is so hard. Everything felt so difficult. But there was one thing that kept me going, and that was I knew that the presence of Jesus was with me because I knew who God was, and I knew who God is. And sometimes we don't feel it, and sometimes it seems like everything is so dark and hopeless, but God is who he says he is, and it's knowing that that keeps us going. There's a scripture in... (laughs) Amen, yes! There's a scripture in Lamentations 3, and um, it should come up on the screen. I'm reading from the Good News translation because I love this translation. Lamentations 3.21 says, Yet hope returns when I remember this one thing. The Lord's unfailing love and mercy still continue. Fresh as the morning, as sure as the sunrise. The Lord is all I have, and so in him I put my hope. That's how we live in the tension. That's how I think personally, that's how I think Mary lived in the tension. She knew who God was, that he was not gonna abandon her, that he was good, that he was loving, that he was faithful. That's what allows us to stand in the tension. That's what allows us to wake up on the day when all we wanna do is leave San Francisco or quit our job or, you know, quit being a parent or whatever it is. And we're like, I just can't go on, I've hit my limits. In that moment, we can say, you know what, God? Your love is sure. Your love is certain, you are faithful, you are true, and I can stand on that when everything else feels like it's shifting, when everything else feels dark. That's how we live in the tension. What I love about you know, the, like the, the Christmas story and this whole Advent season, this whole like bursting in that God does in the story of Israel and in the story of humanity is the sense that he is so actively connected into the story of suffering, into the story of longing, and he is just working. He is just working behind the scenes to bring about his plan, right? We know as we reflect upon scripture, we see that God is weaving the story of rescue. We read through the Old Testament, all the characters and what God is doing. He's weaving the story. He's actively working on the behalf of his people in order to bring about Jesus, right? And I think that's God's character. I think that's who he is. He actually can't help himself but weave into our story, right? Like some of us have narratives, some of us have story of our lives that feels so difficult and we're like, is God even present in that? Is God even active in my life? Has God abandoned that part of me? And I would wanna suggest to you this morning that if we reflect on scripture, that God is so actively involved in your life. He is so connected to what you're going through. He is so connected to that struggle, that relationship that's not working. He knows and he's so connected to you. That job that you've been working so hard for and it hasn't come about, he's so connected to you in that struggle. That longing, the desperation, the grief, the struggle, the pain, the abuse, God is so present in that. And I feel like this morning he wants to tell us, he wants to surprise us with his goodness and surprise us with his presence. He wants to surprise us with his presence this morning. Have you ever thought about that you have a story of surprise? You have a story of surprise. And what I mean by that is that God wants to surprise you and he wants to show up in parts of your life. And I don't mean like, surprise, like, whoa, like he's just been joking around, messing around. What I mean is that God, (laughs) what I mean is that God operates in this totally different place than us, right? Like God owns the realm of surprise because he does stuff that like we don't even think about. In Isaiah, it says that his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. 
God shows up and he does crazy stuff and we go, wow, that's a surprise because we didn't even think it was possible. God owns the realm of the impossible. That's his thing, that's what he does. It's like, it comes like that. And we're like, whoa, that's so surprising. I didn't know you could do that. And God's just like, this is what I do, right? Like there's the whole possible here that you and I can do with like education, our training, you know, our street savvy or whatever it is. We can do the possible. Like we don't necessarily need him in that. Like this is his whole realm right out here, the impossible. And so maybe there's a situation in your life, you're like, I have no idea how this is going to work out. I have no idea how this is going to be redeemed. I have no idea how this is going to be healed and restored. Then you have just stepped into the realm of the impossible. And that's his realm. And it's a good realm. Amen? My, when my husband turned 30, I won't tell you how long ago that was, but when my husband turned 30, I did a surprise party for him. And um, I, I love parties, I love surprise parties, and I wanted to do something just real special for him so that he knew that I loved him and like, he had friends and community, and so I organized a surprise party. So I lied to my husband, and um, <laughs> I told him we were going to our friend's house for dinner, and so he'd get a little dressed up, you know, and, um, and behind the scenes, I was planning for this party. Now, like I told you, we didn't have a car, so I borrowed my friend's car, and it was like, it was a bad car. It was one of those cars that kind of smokes. And I, um, I had a very short window, because you know when you're, when you're planning a party, a surprise party for someone that you live with, it's actually quite tricky, because they're kind of like, where are you going? What are you doing? Like, you kind of have to like, you know, navigate it very sneaky. And so I had this short window of time. I was going to go to Trader Joe's, get food, drop it at my friend's house, get home. So I borrowed this car, and um, I was like, it was in Noe Valley, and we were in the Castro, and if you know the city, you know there's a couple of hills. I mean, I had a short window of time, so I had to go real fast, and that thing was smoking through San Francisco. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm burning out this car, but I just, I can't even think about that. I just got to get this done, right? So I was like zooming around the city, like trying to get this done. Then the night of his birthday, um, we were walking to the apartment, and I thought I saw one of the guests arriving late, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the surprise. I was like, hey, honey, look in this window. And I was like trying to distract him, and he's like, oh, okay, okay. And, you know, I was doing all this stuff, and so then we get there, we open the door, surprise, and his face was just overcome with this joy of like, wow, it had actually worked. It had actually, like, all the smoking and all the, like, distraction, all the lying, like, <laughs> it had actually paid off, right? And he was surprised. You know, if God is working on our behalf, can you imagine what he's doing behind the scenes? Can you imagine what he's doing? I mean, I don't think we really can, because like I said, it's so beyond us. But if me as a human, just a person wanting to bless a husband, was doing all this craziness, like I remember sweating, like running through Trader Joe's, like, oh my gosh, like how am I gonna make this, I wanna make this happen because I love him. Can you imagine what God is doing behind the scenes on your behalf right now that you are totally unaware of? I mean, he's God. He can do anything. And we see in Scripture that he does this preparing for Jesus. He is working behind the scenes. He's setting people in place. He is bringing about prophetic words. He is moving. And he's doing the same even now preparing for the second coming. But we don't have to wait for that. He's moving in our lives today. 
And I'm hoping this morning, my goal is to just encourage you to step into a deeper place of faith, of like, what is possible? What is possible if God is moving behind the scenes for you? You see, some of us view God like an emergency God. It's like, okay, you know, if there's an emergency, if things are terrible, then I can kind of be like, hey, God, things are really, really bad, and I'm just like, I'm, I, I've run out of all my options, so I kind of need you, and um, I know that you're really busy. I know that you're really busy in my friend's life. Things really suck for them, and I know you're really busy overseas and things that are really dark, and I know you're, I know you're all these things, but could you please just like, could you step into this one thing in my life? And maybe we had parents that like, that was when they showed up, when things were bad. It was like, geez, like, could you get better grades? Or geez, could you like, be okay? Like, I'm just gonna come in, swoop in, fix this thing. Okay, you're good, right? And some of us think that's how God is, that we have to convince him that our problem is big enough or our struggle is real enough and that maybe if he's got something to spare, he'll like, look over and be like, okay, here you go. Just be okay. We see God through this like scarcity lens, like there's not enough to go around, and the people that are in really bad situations need you, and I'll be okay. Let me tell you, you don't have to convince God to love you. You don't have to convince God to show up on your behalf. There doesn't have to be a life or death emergency for God to want to be involved in your story. He's already present. He's already active. You have his attention this morning. Whatever you came to church with, whatever struggle, whatever thing's going on, and you're just like, this is right here, it's right at the forefront, it's right at the forefront for him too. You have his attention. He came with you, he's going to leave with you, he knows exactly what's going on in your heart right now, he knows exactly what you're thinking about, he's your partner in life. You see, we were never meant to do it by ourselves. We were never meant to struggle over here and be like, I'm sorry if I'm too much of a bother, would you just notice me? It's like he designed you, he created you, you've had his attention since conception. He's been walking with you every single moment, you don't have to convince him. So this morning I feel like God wants to say to us, you don't have to view life, you don't have to review your relationship with him through this scarcity lens. There is more than enough to go around. There is more than enough Jesus for everyone in this space today. You're like, well I kinda need some healing but You know, my friend needs more healing than me. You know what? There's enough for both of you. (laughs) Amen? Amen. You're like, I kind of need some provision, and I need God's breakthrough, but, you know, my friend really needs it, or my family really needs it, so maybe I'll just spend time praying for them. There's enough for all of you. It's kind of like when uh, Jesus fed the 5,000, right, and there was all that left over. That's the spirit that's in this place today. There's going to be tons left over. Even when you've got everything that you need, you're going to walk out of here there's still going to be so much presence of Jesus left. He does the impossible. So Mary is straddling this place, right? She's touching the pain, and she's touching the hope and the anticipation. I wonder what it would look like for you this morning to stand in that place like Mary did. I want you to think for a moment right now, what's going on in your life that feels like struggle, that feels like lament, that feels dark, and it feels hopeless? And then I want you to imagine the hope, the anticipation, the faith that we've just been talking about, 
of God showing up on your behalf, of God working on your behalf behind the scenes, of God being connected to you. And just like, just let, sit in that place for a second and feel the tension of those two things. Because that's life, that we are called to exist in this place where both things are touching. And it's not overwhelming, and it's not crushing, and we don't have to shut off joy because it feels like it should be a painful time, and we don't have to say no to pain because like, joy is just how everyone should be all the time, right? Like Those two things can actually come together and coexist, and we can live in the tension, and we can see God meet us in the tension and provide enough for us that we don't get swallowed up by it. Sometimes we're so afraid to touch the pain and acknowledge it because it seems so big. And if that's you this morning, I would say God wants to birth hope in you this morning. God wants to birth that seed of hope that begins to grow and grow and it pushes up against that struggle that you're in. And it fe you feel the tension. Sometimes you can feel it in your physical body, like an ache of like, okay, joy and pain, joy and pain. Like, how do, I, how do I hold those two things? And what enables us to hold those two things is God, who he is, how he works in our life, his faithfulness, his consistent love, his presence. It's the season of Emmanuel, God with us. God with us right here, right in the tension, right in the middle. Imagine it, not now two things, but three things. The tension, Holy Spirit right here operating, giving us the capacity to see with his perspective, giving us the capacity to hold both and experiencing him in them. So this morning, if you're here and you're feeling hopeless, this message is for you. If you are feeling like the Christmas season is hard, it has a lot of memories attached, it is difficult, you feel like you're just kind of pushing through, let me tell you, this is your season. Because this is the season of Advent. And this is where we hold both of those two things in tension. So you're feeling like, I just got to push through, I'm supposed to be joyful, like at some point, it's okay. It's okay to feel the pain and the loss and the grief, but also hold on to the hope of who he is and what he wants to do in your life. If you're here this morning and you're facing difficulty in your family, in your relationships, maybe you're facing a health situation that feels so hopeless and you're like, it feels so dark, I don't know how I'm gonna come out of this. This message is for you, that there is hope that God wants to birth in you this morning. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, and you've been thinking, I, I just, like, I've been thinking about this thing, I don't know when's the right time to make the step, today, today is the time to make the step. I wanna encourage you that being a Christian, following Jesus is not about feeling like, oh, I'm happy all the time. It's not about ignoring and pretending that the pain isn't there. In fact, Christianity is an invitation to enter into both places and hold them in tension. It's the most authentic place to live. It's the most real place to live because you're holding both of them. It's not ignoring that life is hard. Sometimes life sucks, guys. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it. Like Sometimes my life sucks. Sometimes it's hard and it's a struggle and I don't wanna get out of bed. But what gets me out of bed is I'm reaching over here and I'm saying, okay, there's more. There's hope. There's expectation. How do I live my life expecting God to show up? 
You know, as you're thinking this morning about that thing that's a struggle, just think about it in light of this this morning. How would I be living differently if I was expecting God to show up? How would I be living differently knowing that the God of the universe is already working on this problem? Maybe you've got a problem with your boss. Maybe you've got a problem at work. You're like, I don't know how to figure this out. Well, keep in mind, someone's already working on your behalf. Maybe this morning we should be asking God, how do I get into the stream of what you're already doing and partner with you? As we close this morning, I'm going to have the worship team come back up.